Oh, God, those arms, <clears throat> what's that line in Deuteronomy? Underneath, underneath are the everlasting arms. We lean on those arms. Where would we be? Would we even be here were it not for your strong arms? As we do just that, plunge into Scripture, let the teaching be clear. Let us not be quite the same again for having worshiped here today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you agree with this? Most everybody who lives on this planet has an address. If I were to ask you where do you live, you would respond, in Berrien Springs or in L.A. or in Pretoria. Most every human being has an address. But listen, there are some people, no kidding, there are some people who have two addresses, and get this, they live in both addresses simultaneously. Go figure. Open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Take a look at this. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go. I'm in the New International Version this morning. Whatever translation you have, that's just great that you have one. Don't have one, pull out the Pew Bible. It's page 786 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is quite clear. The Christians that he is writing to, they live in two places at once, in Ephesus and in Christ. Every Christian has both addresses a human address, and a divine address. And it's the in Christ address, the divine address, that captures our attention this morning. There's something compelling about that phrase. I would dare to say that it stands among the three most stunning truths in all of Scripture. That this truth is critical for Paul, I'll tell you what. He uses this phrase over 200 times, this phrase or its cognates, in Christ, in Him, through Christ, through Him. And for our little series, hashtag RXF4NOW, have you figured it out yet? For our series, this is absolutely a very big deal. So without further ado, let's go to our, our, our passage for this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you're in Ephesians, just go back to Galatians and then you're into 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Pick it up in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore, what? All died. I don't know if you were at the Steve Green concert on Sunday night, but if you were, you know what, what an experience. I mean, that was, that was worship, maxed out. And he sang his signature song. Calvary's love, Calvary's love, priceless gift Christ makes us worthy of. The deepest sin can't rise above Calvary's love. Paul is singing right now, for the love of Christ compels us. It's very interesting, that little word compels. It's one of Dr. Luke's prime words. He uses it in Luke and in Acts. You remember the story about the woman with the hemorrhage? The woman who's been bleeding for like 12 years? You remember that story? And she says, she hears Jesus is coming to our little village. He's coming today. So she's going to be out there. She's going to ask him to heal her. But when she goes to where she expects him, there is this massive crowd swirling around him. 
I'll never get an audience with him. And so what does she do? She's down on her hands and knees. I picture she's going through the, she's going through the legs, through the legs. If I can just touch the what? The hem of his garment. If I can just touch that, I'll be healed. Yeah, you know the story. Jesus stops. Everybody jostles him. And Jesus turns around and he says rather calmly, uh, who touched me? And Peter, only in Luke, Peter pipes up as he always does. Okay, Lord, let's find out. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, who touched Jesus? Put your hand up. Admit it. No, 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 no. Somebody touched me. I felt power go out of me. The word to describe that throttling, that choking, pressing crowd is the same word right here. For the love of Christ throttles us. For the love of Christ crushes us. It surrounds us. You can't get away. Reminds me of the story of the Marine Corps General, Chesty Puller, in the Battle of the Bulge. You ever hear about the Battle of the Bulge? That would be World War II. His troops, the Allied troops, are surrounded by the enemy. He gets up to make the announcement, soldiers, the enemy is in front of us. The enemy is behind us. The enemy is to our right. The enemy is to our left. I have good news for you. They're not going to get away from us this time. Calvary's love in front of you, behind you, to the right and the left. You can't get away from Calvary's love this time. Read it again, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Did you get that? When Jesus died on the cross, all, the entire world, all died in Him, in Him. One died for all, the entire human race, and all died in Him. Christ took every sin of yours and mine. He took every sinner, and all died in Him, in Him. Drop down to verse 17. You might have read this verse before. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is, what are the next two words? Over 200 times, Paul's going to use that. This is his key, numero uno phrase. If anyone is in Christ, any man, any woman, any young adult, any teenager, any child, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Whatever this in Christ means, it is crystal clear that when you're in Christ, you become a new creation. Reminds me of that grand truth that launched this little hashtag RXF4NOW series. Believe. When the creator of the universe, when he speaks a word, his word, get this, his word, his word is so omnipotent that the moment he speaks the word, the word creates the reality it describes. So when he says, let there be light, in half a nanosecond, shoom, there is light. When he speaks the word, if any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, if when he speaks the words, behold, behold, I do a new thing, boom, a new thing has happened. When he speaks the word, if any man, if any woman is in Christ in that instant, I'm telling you, th th this, this uh, in Christ phrase, in my, humble, in my humble conviction, this is a deal breaker. This is a deal breaker if you get this one. But it gets even better. Drop down to verse 19. So Paul is talking about God. This is verse 19. And he says that God was reconciling the world to himself. Here it comes again. In Christ, over 200 times, God was in the world reconciling to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
Now watch this, watch this. Because most, translate, most translations read this way. God was in Christ. Four words in the English, in the Greek. Theos, hein, and Christo. Four words in the Greek. God was in Christ. You know what's happening here? The Father is in the Son. On the cross. Oh, it reminds me of these words of Ellen White. Can I put them on the screen for you? From that little classic, Desire of Ages. You see it on the screen. God sacrificed himself in Christ for our redemption. But here's the stunner. This is from a little magazine called Signs of the Times on the screen as well. God himself, God himself was crucified with Christ. Christ was one with the Father. The Father himself was crucified. He was in Christ. One more. The apocalyptic classic, great controversy on the screen. The love of the Father, no less than the love of the Son, is the fountain of salvation for the lost race. You know what that means? Ladies and gentlemen, you know what that means? When Christ died, when Calvary's love poured out of that broken heart, he died. He died as a surrogate. Do you know what a surrogate is? Anybody know, what's the definition of a surrogate? Well, the dictionary says a surrogate is a substitute assigned to stand in for someone else. As Calvary's love is being poured out, the surrogate, standing in for the Father, the surrogate is there, the surrogate of God. Oh, by the way, the surrogate for for the entire human race, the surrogate for you and me on Calvary's cross. What kind of love, what kind of love is this? The love of Christ compels us. I mean, can you understand it? And I tell you what, the wonder, the wonder is not so much that Jesus died for us. The wonder is he even wanted to. But it gets even better. Drop down to verse 21. Wow. God made him, that would be Christ. God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that... So what's, what, what are the next two words? So with that... In him. There it is again. There's that phrase. So that in him we might become the righteousness, the righteousness of God. Anyway, hey, what's, what's righteousness mean? Well, we've been kind of thinking about righteousness this way. Righteousness is right doing. That's what it is, right doing. That's why God is 24-7 righteous, because he's always doing right. 24-7. I'm righteous. He's the only righteous one in the universe. 24-7. Which means, listen, listen, listen. When we are in Christ, as we just read, The filthy rags of our sins go to him so that the spotless robe of his righteousness gets wrapped around us. Can you believe that? He became my sin so that in him I can become his righteousness by faith. Which is why there is this old dusty phrase that still gets used now and then. Righteousness by faith. By faith. Which means that when I'm in Christ, his perfect life becomes my perfect life. Can you believe that? When I'm in Christ, his perfect purity becomes my perfect purity. Listen, when I'm in Christ, his perfect racial unity. We have a little conference going on. We're going to get right back to it this afternoon at 2. Should have been here last night. Oh, Michael Nixon. Wow. You missed that. It's in the youth chapel from two on through the rest of the day. It's it's called repairing the breach, achieving, seeking racial unity within the church. When we as a people, when we are in Christ, his perfect unity becomes our perfect unity. When I'm in Christ, 
His honesty becomes my honesty. His righteousness becomes my righteousness. By faith. You know what that means? You know what that means? Let me put it on the screen for you. I hope this is the one line you take home today. All that is his becomes all that is mine when I am in Christ. All that is his. You say, oh, Dwight, come on. This is typical. Typical homiletical hyperbole. You guys are really something. Oh, you think so, huh? Let me go back to the book of Ephesians. Just stay right where you are. Go back to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, now verse 3. We'll put it on the screen. A little bit of hyperbole? I think not. Read this on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with... What's the next word? Come on, call it out to me. What's the next word? With every spiritual what? Spiritual what? Blessing. All that is His. When I'm in Christ... All that is his becomes all that is mine. When I'm in Christ, every spiritual blessing. How much of every is every? Do you know? Oh, it's pretty much all? Okay. Pretty much all. Wow. All that is his becomes all that is mine. When you are in Christ. And by the way, oh, don't let anybody kid you. It's already a done deal. Been done. It's not like you and I come to God and God says, oh, yo, Dwight, how are you? Oh, you want to be saved. Mm, well, let me see. Boy, you know what, Dwight? I need to kind of go over this thing. I'll tell you what, I'll call you back. Don't call me, I'll call you. Is it that way with God? It is not. What did we just read? If any man is in Christ, if any woman is in Christ, just like that, half a nanosecond, you say, Jesus, you got it. If anyone is in Christ, she, he is a new creation in Christ. Old things are gone away. Behold, all things become new. I tell you what, Dwight, I don't feel very new. I didn't ask you if you felt new. I don't even care about your feelings, and neither does God. The issue is not feelings, it's faith. It's faith. It's what Jesus said to the centurion. You remember what Jesus said to the centurion? The centurion comes walking up to Jesus, and he says, Listen, my my servant is dying. I I need you to heal him. Well, I'll go to your house. No, 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 stop right there. You don't have to go to my house. All you have to do is say the word. See, I got, I got servants. I know how it works. I have soldiers under me. I just say the word, go, and they go. I say, come, and they come. You say the word, and my servant will be healed just like that. And Jesus goes, wow. I've been living around the saved all my life. I have never seen faith like this pagan. Then he says to, the, then he says to this pagan, he says, let it be done to you according to your feelings. No, he did not. Let it be done to you according to your faith. That boy was healed just like that. I'm telling you what, it's already a done deal. You're a new creation in God's eyes. Based on the cross 2,000 years ago, done. It is finished. I mean, it would be like you getting a FedEx letter. Ever get FedEx letter? Yeah. UPS? Nah. FedEx? Woo. This is, pretty, this is pretty important, right? It's like you getting a FedEx letter from an unknown law firm that informs you that your great uncle, whom you knew but never met in your life, your great uncle some years ago has died childless and he has willed to you his entire estate, but only now have his lawyers located you. And if you are willing, to receive this inheritance, 
If you will just sign the FedEx receipt, come on, just put your John Henry there or Mary Henry, just put it down there. If you are willing to receive this estate, you will be the inheritor of $3.3 billion. Sir, just sign on the line. This was done a long time ago. You're just finding out, finding out about it now. That's okay. It's still valid. 2,000 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, on the cross of Calvary, God took the entire, treasure, the entire treasury of the universe and he emptied it to the last penny in the gift of Christ to the human race. 2,000 years ago, it was locked, sealed, and ready. As soon as we locate you, sign on this little FedEx receipt, and you got it, buddy. Wow. All that is his becomes all that is mine. When I am, when you are in Christ. In very practical terms, Dwight, come on, cut to the chase. How does this work? You want it very practical? Let me give it to you very simply. The little book, Steps to Christ. Is this something? Put it on the screen. Steps to Christ, page 62. Christ lived on earth amid trials and temptations such as we have to meet. He lived a sinless life, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was born with our weaknesses thoroughly through him. He died for us. And now he offers to take our sins and give us, there's that first, second Corinthians 5, 21 exchange. And now he offers to give us his righteousness if, okay, you got to sign the FedEx receipt. Here it comes. If you give yourself to him, if you accept him as your savior, come on, boy, quit waiting. Just sign the receipt. Sinful as your life may have been, for Christ's sake, you are accounted righteous. Here, this gets even better. Come on, keep reading. Christ's character stands in place of your character and hold on to your pew. You are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Zero sin in your life. Now, can it get any better than that? Help me out. Can it get any better than that? All that is his is all that is yours in Christ. Over 200 times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We get it, Paul. We get it. We get it. You know why? You know why this is true? Because you have a new address. Hmm? You're not just, you don't live just in Bering Springs. You live in Christ. You have a new address, and that divine address declares that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, your Savior. He sees Jesus, your surrogate. He sees Jesus, your substitute. But there's a little bit of wrong, kind of crazy thinking associated with that imagery, and so we need to correct it right now. And uh, Cameron Schofield makes a small but very significant tweaking to that picture we've all grown up with, and it's very helpful. We'll put Cameron's words on the screen. This is from his book, Heralding the Loud Cry. We often... Oh, is, is, is this true or what? We often have a picture in our mind of Christ standing before the Father as our high priest and advocate, and then there's little old me... Christ is about 10, 12 feet tall, and I'm down here four feet tall. There's little old me trembling, standing behind him. As Jesus, the high priest and advocate, pleads with the Father. He's there supplicating, Cameron writing now, he's there supplicating on my behalf. Oh, Father, I know, I know, I know, do I? Oh, I know. Hey, forget it, forget it. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Please, don't worry about him. Take me. 
We think that. And Cameron says, time out, time out, reality check. Friends, you see that line there? Friends, there is only one man standing before God. Jesus Christ is that man. And we are, where are we? We are in him. You have a divine address. You don't have to be up there. You don't have to be standing up there in all your little weak and frail human reality. No, we are in Christ. And by the way, don't be fooled by some aberrant theology into thinking that Jesus somehow has to persuade the Father to love you. We know that's not true. We just read it in verse 19. God was in Christ at the cross. The Father was there. He was crucified with His Son. Calvary's love. Uh, put it up, Romans 5, 8. Uh, Paul says, you need to get this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ. I mean, can you believe it? What a glorious piece to this hashtag RXF4NOW puzzle we're putting together. Yeah, but Dwight, come on, come on, come on. Help me out. How can I get in Christ right now? I need to get in Christ right now. Oh, Jesus says, I'm very glad you asked that question. Let me answer that myself. Jesus answers this. Red letters now. You will look this text up. John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. Red letters in my Bible. Jesus has the answer. You want to be in Christ? Let me give you the way. John chapter 6, verse 56. Bright red in my Bible. Jesus speaking, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. There's that in Christ. Remains in me and I in her. I in him, I in them. Jesus says, look it. You want to be in me? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And that feels so gory. And the fact that you have verse 60 indicates we would not be the only ones who says that is yuck. Look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Adios, Señor. And they are gone. It is gory. If you missed the point. What's, what's, what's Jesus talking about here? Oh, Jesus is referring to the powerful symbolism of the Lord's Supper. You see, There is no Lord's Supper in the Gospel of John. The fourth Gospel, there's no Lord's Supper. Matthew, Mark, Luke, yep, Lord's Supper. John writes it years after the synoptics. And so John comes along and says, you know what? We've already got three stories. (laughs) Why do you need a fourth story? I'm going to take the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to embed its powerful symbolism in my I am the bread of life chapter, chapter 6. And that's exactly what has happened. Look at verse 51. Jesus still speaking. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. You want to be in me? Then eat the bread, drink the cup, and in that way, you will abide in me, and I will abide in you. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we physically, we symbolically become one with the Savior. We are ingested in. He is ingested in. When you eat the bread and drink the cup, you are invited into Christ, and He is invited into you. In fact, right after He gave the Lord's Supper, in John's account now, no Lord's Supper, but He does say the words right after the Lord's Supper, abide in me and I in you. That's the whole point. 
You want to be in Christ? You want to stay in Christ? Eat the bread. Drink the cup. Let him come in. You go in to him, and you are never, ever the same again. Ever. Every single time, you are never the same again. When my dad died, my mother insisted that us boys take some of his clothes. So I chose dad's pilot sweater and his uh, flight jumpsuit. My dad loved to fly, and in his retirement, he was, uh, he was a chaplain with the Civil Air Patrol. I know that today he is sleeping in Jesus. I understand that. I know that he is quietly awaiting the resurrection and the life. But I have got to tell you, when you put on the clothes of someone you love, someone who loved you dearly, when you put on the clothes in a, in a existential way, it's as if you can almost smell him. He's here. He's here. And when we take the bread, and when we take the cup, I know he's not here, I know, but in a mysterious sort of way, it's as if he's here. You can almost smell him. The robe goes around you, and you could, you could have sworn that was, those were his arms going around you. That's why. You want to abide in me? And you want me to abide in you? Eat the bread. Drink the cup. I and you. And you and me. Wow. I don't think it gets any better than that, do you? Let's pray. Oh, God. Can you believe it? Over 200 times and we've missed this. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, all that is His is all that is mine. In Christ, oh God, thank you. Calvary's love, what else can we say? Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.